again, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Turn on your device, open your Bibles, but I always strongly encourage you to follow along. I, I missed you last Sunday morning. I appreciate Tony filling in and preaching for me. I got a chance to join a small group from our church and go visit Honduras, uh, visit the Mission Upreach, which we support heavily at our church. And, and that was my first time to go to that part of Honduras. And it was a great trip. We missed you last Sunday. Uh, I got a chance to bring something back with me from Honduras. And it's been floating through my intestines since Tuesday night. Uh, so don't drink the water, eat certain foods, who knows, you know, how these things happen, but I've carried something with me since I've been home, and, uh, but I am glad to be back with you today. We're continuing this study through the Gospel of Mark, and today's text has a lot to do with marriage. Uh, when you think of marriage, you probably don't think of taking marriage advice from Will Ferrell. You know who Will Ferrell is, he's former Saturday Night Live guy, a movie star, comedian, and he says about marriage that it, it's a very important decision and you need to think long and hard about who you marry and before you get married you need to think, is this the person I want to watch stare at their phone for the rest of my life? <laughs> That's his marriage advice. Now, it's funny because there's an element of truth to that, but at the same time, uh, we know that marriage is much more than just sitting in the same room and occupying the same space. Uh, I read a story about Kim Kardashian. You know Kim Kardashian? <laughs> Why do I know something about Kim Kardashian? I don't know. Uh, I blame my wife for that. But she got married several years ago to a guy named Chris Humphreys, and the wedding cost $10 million. So the, the marriage itself lasted 72 days. Someone said about that, that's the most expensive, short-lived wedding of all time, or marriage of all time. So Mark chapter 10 is where we want to begin. We know, that, we know that marriage is much more than just a wedding ceremony. We know that weddings are important, and we place a lot of, of emphasis in the ceremony itself, but we know that a marriage is much more than just a one-day event. We know that marriage is a lifetime commitment, and that's what we want to talk about this morning and this text that we're reading from Mark chapter 10, verse 1 through 12, is what I want to just start with. We'll read it, and then we'll come back through it and, and unpack it here in just a minute. So let's read Mark 10, verse 1 through 12. He left that place, and he went to the region of, Ju of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds again gathered around him. And as was his custom, he again taught them. Some Pharisees came, and to test him, they said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a, a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You've probably heard that quoted in a wedding ceremony before. I've quoted this passage in a wedding ceremony before. Often it's from Matthew 19, but this is the equivalent of that. Then in verse 10, then in, then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. 
And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So this is a sensitive subject for the culture that we live in today. And as we approach this text, I just want to begin in this intro part of the sermon with a prayer. So if you would, join me in prayer this morning. Lord, as we come before you again today, we thank you for another day that you've given us to be awake and alive and to be here and to worship We know there's a lot of people around the world who do not have this luxury that we have today. And I just pray, Lord, as we talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage and these things that Jesus talked about, the answer answer to the question that Jesus gives, and I just pray that we can approach this with love and with grace and that our hearts will be open and that we will uh, trust in you as we study your word and, and understand your love that you have for us and the life that you're calling us to live And I pray that you'll give me the right words to say today, Father. Uh, Be with us as we receive this and uh, help our hearts to be open to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I've had several friends who have gone through a divorce. It's been a very difficult uh, time in life for them. Some close friends, some family members, I've walked beside them as they've gone through it. It's it's messy and it's painful and it's scary and, you know, I've been with them every step of the way and, and usually what I've learned is... When somebody goes through a divorce, it's usually not just one thing. It's a combination of many things through time and things build. And I I know that, and you know that statistics on divorce are very high. Right now, the the statistic is about 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. So, So that's a very high divorce rate. That's almost half of all first marriages end in divorce. So that means that many of us in this room, including myself, have been affected by divorce, either yourself or your parents or a family member, you know, most of us, some way or another, we've been affected by divorce. So it's something we can talk about because we've experienced, but as we talk about it, I realize it's a sensitive subject because a lot of you have gone through a lot of pain in your life as a result of a divorce. So I approach this subject um, with an open heart, I guess you could say. I don't take it lightly. And I also know that some of you may be sitting there today, when I use words like divorce and we read this text, you may be thinking, was well, he talking to me? Is this directed at me? Is there a spotlight on me? And the answer is no. There's, this is not directed at anyone. And if you feel like the spotlight is on you, maybe you can just relax a little bit this morning. We're studying through Mark, in which that means we go through... Uh, mark the way that he presents Jesus to us, and so I'm trying not to dodge the texts that make me very uncomfortable. So two weeks ago, I got to talk about hell, and today I get to talk about this. So we'll see what next week will be, but, but I want to stay true to the text and to follow along. And So it is a sensitive subject, though, and, and I don't take that lightly. And My approach to this subject is with grace and truth. Now I'm borrowing from the Gospel of John. And if you were to look at the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, Jesus comes full of grace and truth. And you see, throughout the Gospel of John, how Jesus handles each person that he interacts with. He always teaches truth, but there's a lot of grace involved as well. And you could look at the woman at the wells, what the story is known as in John chapter 4. Jesus meets what we call the Samaritan woman. A woman who had been divorced many times, and he sits down in the middle of the day, and he has this conversation with this woman, 
Uh, and eventually, as the conversation goes on, he uh, calls out the fact that she's been married several times. So there's, tr- there's truth in the conversation, but there's also a lot of grace. There's grace in the way that he handles it. So the way that I approach this subject is I want to teach the truth that Jesus taught, but offer the grace that Jesus offered. And I want to approach it with humility. Uh, I'm a married man myself. So as I read texts like this, I think of my own life. I've been married for almost 10 years, coming up in September. And in 10 years, my wife and I have lived in two different countries. Uh, Lord willing, we're about to live in our seventh different home. In 10 years, we've produced two children. We've gone through a lot. We've had a lot of ups and downs. But I don't have this all figured out. I, I put that in my notes, and I shared my notes with Jessica on Wednesday night. And as she read through it, I mentioned, you know, I want to say something about our own marriage and how I don't have it all figured out. And she said, you should definitely say that because you don't have it all figured out. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. I, I mean, it sounds funny, but it is true. Like, it's a work in progress. It's hard work, right? So I approached this with grace and truth and with humility, and then I'll say a word about Jesus and Paul. Right now we're reading Jesus, but Paul mentions marriage as well in the New Testament. And nobody had more influence in our world when it comes to marriage than Jesus. And Jesus was single. And Paul was single. And Paul's right behind Jesus in his letters when he talks about marriage and how much that's influenced our view of what a marriage is, and both of these guys were single. So if you're sitting in the audience today and you're like, well, I'm not married, I've never been married, or maybe you're widowed, or whatever it may be, I want to affirm you in your singleness and let you know that uh, it doesn't mean you're living an incomplete life if you're not married. I think that God can still work powerfully through you, so I hope you don't feel excluded today, but I hope you also realize how important this topic is. So Mark chapter 10, verse 1 through 12, we've already read it, and I'm going to go back through and unpack it a little bit. Starting in verse 1 and 2, we get the location and we get the motive behind this question. The location is they're in Judea. So that's important. Jesus, we've already read in Mark that he's on his way to the cross. So he's on his way to Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen to him there, and he's traveling through Judea. There was another guy who had a ministry in the Judean wilderness, and his name was John the Baptist. That name probably sounds familiar. In John the Baptist's ministry in the Judean wilderness, uh, he got in some trouble. We actually didn't look at this story back in the fall as we studied through Mark, but in Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist is arrested. And he's arrested because he's had a conversation with Herod Antipas, And Herod Antipas is married to someone who used to be his brother's wife. So Philip, his wife, left him and went to go be with his brother, Herod Antipas. And John the Baptist calls him out on it, and he says, the relationship that you have with her is wrong. And so he was arrested, put in prison, and then eventually he was beheaded because of that. It's a really neat story in Mark chapter 6 if you want to read it. So Jesus enters into Judea, and they come up to him. The Pharisees come up to him with this question, is it lawful, speaking of the law of Moses, is it lawful to get a divorce? Well, their motive is, first of all, they're trying to trap Jesus. They want Jesus killed. They want to get rid of Jesus. So they're trying to trap him, and they're thinking, maybe if we get him to contradict Moses, uh, the Jewish people will be upset with us. 
And they're also thinking maybe if he says something about divorce and Herod Antipas finds out about it, maybe he will arrest Jesus just like he did John the Baptist. So whatever happens to Jesus here, they're just hoping that this question will catch him. So they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And then Jesus responds to their question with another question in verse 3. And he says, what does the law of Moses say? What does Moses command you to do? You notice that often Jesus responds to a question with another question. You ever notice that? As you study through Mark chapters 10, 11, and 12, uh, you'll notice there's a lot of questions in there. Uh, people come to Jesus and ask him a question, or sometimes Jesus reverses the question, and he asks his own question. And over the next few weeks, as we study through Mark 10, 11, and 12, uh, we're going to look at some of these questions. So he flips the question back on them. What does the law of Moses say? And they say, well, Moses says to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her or send her away. And if you'll notice in verse 4, that's this insider-outsider type of language. And we've already seen a lot of that in the Gospel of Mark. So what the Pharisees are quoting to Jesus comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 through 4. And in the law of Moses... Divorce is permitted. It's not commanded, but it's permitted. So they're saying, yeah, it says in the law to write a certificate of divorce. Now, Jesus gives the reason why <coughs> that's in there. And he says in verse 5, it's because of the hardness of your heart. But part of the reason why divorce was initially allowed was, and the way it was, was to write a written certificate was meant to hopefully protect the women. So they're not just at the mercy of their husband's impulses. And if, they, if their husband wants to get rid of them, they have to at least go through the process of writing a certificate of divorce. And in the Greco-Roman world that surrounded Jesus and the apostles and everything we read in the New Testament, you know, divorce was a fairly common thing. Sometimes people would get divorced for political reasons, and somehow a divorce and a remarriage could lead to political advancement. Uh, sometimes men would divorce their wives because they would get bored with them. Sometimes men would divorce their wives because of a sexual attraction towards someone else. There was numerous reasons why, but divorce wasn't completely uncommon in the Greco-Roman world or in the Jewish context. So by the time Jesus is teaching, there are two main schools of thought when it comes to divorce. And those Schools of thought were led by two really popular rabbis. One was Rabbi Shema, or Shemay, or however you would pronounce that in East Texas. His school of thought, his teaching on divorce, was very strict. And he has a similar take that Jesus had. But another popular school of thought when it comes to divorce was taught by a guy named Rabbi Hillel, and his school of thought was very lenient towards divorce. And if you've ever heard what I'm about to say before, this is the background of where it comes from. But basically, he taught that if your wife burns the toast, send her a certificate of divorce. Now, if she burns the food, you don't like it, that's enough to dismiss her. That's enough to get that certificate of divorce. So those, that's kind of some of the teaching, some of the background behind uh, why people would get divorced and that's what was going on when they come up and they ask the question, is it right, is it lawful to get a divorce or not? And Jesus says, well, what does the law of Moses say? Well, it, the law of Moses says, write her a certificate. In verse 5, Jesus says, <coughs> the real reason that Moses 
wrote that was because your hearts were hard, because of the hardness of your heart. And then Jesus, in verse 6 through 9, he goes back to creation. You know, this was our scripture reading this morning from Genesis chapter 2. Jesus, in Mark 10, verse 6 through 9, he says that, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus goes back to the root of the original intention for marriage. God's intention was for someone to leave his parents and to go and be united with his wife. And what God has joined together, no one should separate. That's the original purpose behind why we get married and what a marriage is. And there's a lot of things that marriage is not. And one of those things is Jesus talks about the sacredness of marriage. One of the things that marriage is not is it's not lifelong limerence. How many of you have heard the word limerence before? It's not a very common word. You could Google it and look up some more information on it. Uh, Limerence was a term that was coined in the 1970s. And I recently came across this word as I was listening to a a marriage podcast called Relationship Rewire by a guy named John Anderson. And limerence is that intense emotional feeling when you feel like you have fallen in love or you are falling in love. That is when you're brain, your body releases all sorts of hormones and chemicals and there's all sorts of things going on and you become not just romantically attracted towards someone but you think about them all the time and usually during limerence our judgment is not as sharp as it normally would be. Uh, During limerence some of our thinking is clouded. We know that when people are in love or really in limerence with each other sometimes they can make some silly decisions most of you who are married, at one point in time, you, you started off in limerence. Uh, you could look that up, you could study more about it and, and discover for yourself what this word means, but a lot of you have had those feelings in the past towards someone. <clears throat> so you know what limerence is, or at least you have an idea of what I'm trying to describe here. The only thing about limerence is it only lasts about 6 to 18 months. And some people say 3 to 18 months. And you know that's true. For those of you who have been married for a long time, and as I went over this with Jessica, she was like, yeah, we both agree. At the beginning, we had this limerence feeling, this really intense feeling with all these chemicals going in your brain, and you would decide you want to get married to each other, but no human being can last like that. You wouldn't even go to work anymore if you were in limerence all the time. You know, human beings wouldn't function. So the way that God created us is we do have this response, this limerence response, but it doesn't last forever. It only lasts for a short time. Uh, There are no known cases of anybody being in lifelong limerence because love is much more than just something you feel. You know, love is something that you do. Many of you have probably heard the name Joe Beam before. It's kind of a funny picture of him, but he has this YouTube channel Uh, And it's called Marriage Helper. And he has, one of his episodes is called Love and Limerence, the difference between love and limerence. And so he goes into his own explanation of this word limerence and what it means and how long it lasts and what's actually going on in your brain during a period of limerence. And he tells his own story of being in limerence. You see, Joe Beam was married 
and had a few kids, and he admits openly that he fell in limerence with another woman. So he had an affair on his wife, and he divorced his wife to go be with this woman. And in a brief story, he says, but when that period of limerence was over, this relationship, this affair was also over. Now, by the grace of God, the story goes on, and he was able to be reconciled to his wife, and they've remarried. And it's a very interesting story. You, I would encourage you, if this piques your interest, to get on there and watch that. But he said, you know, we divorced, and now we're, we've remarried to each other. And he said, things are great, and there's a story to tell, and God's grace was powerful through all that. But he said, even as adults, I can see how this still has affected my children. So he said, there's still a lingering effect to it, but he's a living testimony of the, the fact that the sacredness of marriage is not just lifelong limerence. But what Jesus is talking about in Mark 10 is lifelong commitment. Remember, love is not just something you feel. Love is something that you do. And I think the, the purpose that Jesus refers to this creation and this original intent for marriage, the purpose is to be committed. I was reading a book on marriage earlier this week, and they said, you know, the level of commitment that both have towards the marriage is whether or not the marriage will last. That's how important commitment is. Commitment is what we say in our wedding vows during a ceremony, that you're with each other, you know, from beginning to end, through sickness and in health and good times and in bad times until death do us part. It's supposed to be a lifelong commitment, and that was, I think, what Jesus was trying to get across to the Pharisees. He's answering their question, is it lawful to get a divorce? Well, the law of Moses says that, yes, but the reason it says that is because your hearts were hardened, but here's the original intent behind marriage. And then, in Mark 10, verse 10 through 12, he goes into a house privately with his disciples, as we see throughout Mark, he does that. We saw that, like for example, in Mark chapter 4, he teaches the parable of the sower, and then he goes into a home, and privately he explains it to his disciples. So privately, they go into the house, and he continues the conversation with his disciples, and this is what he says, I'll read it again, verse 10 through 12. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So it's texts like that that make us stop and pause and think and try to discover, well, what does Jesus mean by all this whole marriage, divorce, and remarriage discussion? And you could look elsewhere in the New Testament. You could look at Matthew chapter 19. I put the reference on here, verse 1 through 12. And Jesus says, you know, the, except for marital unfaithfulness. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul talks a lot about marriage. And those are some references in the New Testament that I would recommend you go and you read and you spend some time in. So what does Jesus mean by divorce here? Well, we know uh, how damaging divorce can be. And I mentioned I've had friends that have gone through divorce. We've had family members who have gone through divorce. And it's usually not just one thing. And, and nobody really ever sets out when they get married to say, well, hopefully 10 years from now we'll be divorced. So, like Nobody approaches it that way. It's a very painful thing. And, and there's a lot that goes into it. Sometimes there's abusive relationships. Sometimes 
Uh, you just can't help how the, your spouse changes and becomes a person and wants a divorce. I've had friends that have gone through that that didn't want a divorce, but their spouse did want a divorce. And so what I'm trying to say is there's all sorts of reasons why a divorce can happen, and we just are kind of sticking to the fact that Jesus believes that as best as you can help it, you enter into a marriage for a lifelong commitment, and you continue to invest in that marriage. I put up under that main text, Mark chapter 3. That's because in Mark chapter 3, Jesus, we studied this back in October, Jesus talks about the eternal sin or the unforgivable sin, and he said that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And they, he says this because they were saying that he was casting out demons because he's working with Beelzebub. So the one thing I would say about divorce or a lot of other things that we're teaching here is Jesus is not saying, well, this is the unforgivable sin, this is the eternal sin. And I bring that up because I know there's probably some of you who have carried a very heavy weight from decisions that you have made in your past. And I guess going back to that grace and truth piece that I mentioned earlier, is that God is powerful and through the God Spirit, He's able to work out forgiveness and reconciliation. Right? And there's still hope and you don't have to walk around living with a label your whole life. But the purpose of what we want to accomplish this morning is to encourage you to know that we, we don't want to just say, here's what Jesus taught on divorce, here's what Jesus taught on marriage, good luck with that. That wouldn't make any sense. Our purpose is to ask the question, how can we help your marriage? If you are a married person right now, and you know there's a lot of ups and downs, there's good times, there's bad times, there's struggles, sometimes there's things that you can't really explain. We want to invest in your marriage. This is a part of our vision to uphold godly values in a marriage. And so you've heard it mentioned in the last month or so, we had this ministry called Married People. There's Jen, I'm going to point you out. Jen Sicosio sitting right over there. She heads up this ministry. Uh, you probably saw a little flyer in your seat this morning when you got here. There's a, another big night out event coming up this coming Saturday night. Uh, married people ministry exists in this church to try to invest in and encourage and help your marriage. So whether or not you've just now started hearing about this ministry in the last month or so, or you've been involved with married people for a long time, we want to bring it back to your attention to let you know we have a ministry that exists to try to help your marriage. There's a big night out come, event coming up that's, that's help, you know, investing and pouring into your marriage. There's date nights that Jen does throughout the year. There's other events. There's, there's a Facebook group that you can follow. This is a ministry designed and, and uh, backed up by our church trying to help support this godly marriage. We want you to invest in your own marriage. and th Not just for marriage, but for life in general. A lot of times we just kind of float through life. And we just are reactive when we let life happen to us. So it's not just in marriage, but marriage is one of those important areas that we have to invest. We use this word being intentional quite often. We have to be intentional about our marriage. We have to invest in it. So I would encourage you to do things like attend Big Night Out. That's coming up Saturday night with married people. Give it a try. If you haven't been in a while, come back. Just go and, and see how little things like that can start to build and hopefully help your marriage. 
If you're on Facebook, get on there and follow the Pine Tree Church Married People Group. Jen will post stuff on there occasionally, um, updates for upcoming events and, and other encouraging articles and things like that. You could do simple things like investing in your marriage by learning your spouse's love language. You've probably heard of Gary Chapman's five love languages. Get online, take a free quiz, get your spouse to do it, know your spouse's love language, and know how to speak that love language. You know, that's something simple that you can do that will start to help your marriage as you invest in it. Listen to a podcast together. I've already mentioned that Relationship Rewire podcast. And when Jessica and I are in the car together on long road trips, we might listen to an episode and we do that together. Maybe it's a marriage book that you can read together, but do things together as a couple to invest in your marriage. I'm drawing your attention to somebody named Trey and Leah Morgan, and the only reason I'm doing that is because I've followed them for several years now, and I've found it helpful. They have something called Stronger Marriage Workshops, but they're also very active on social media. So my wife is on Instagram a lot, and so now she follows them. I follow them on Twitter, and almost, maybe not quite every day, but very often, they'll post a little marriage tip or a little word on marriage. So Jessica will read it at the same time I'll read it, and that often sparks a conversation between the two of us. And we can, we can share our thoughts on it, or did you see what they posted today? So just doing something like that together. If you're going to be on social media, make good use of it. Follow something that can help encourage your marriage. If you're struggling with your finances, I know Big Night Out last week and Married People was on finances. Work on a budget. Find somebody that can help you work on a budget. Finances are one of the biggest reasons or causes for divorce or marriage problems that we know of today. So work on your finances together. Go see a counselor together. There's no shame in that. It should be a requirement that all couples throughout their marriage go see a counselor. I'm probably going to get some pushback for saying it should be a requirement, but, but I think it should be because I think that that's helpful. I think that's investing in your marriage. We, we brought in Eddie Gooch you know, in January. Go set up an appointment with Eddie Gooch or find a counselor. Look up Pathstones. You know, invest in your marriage in that way. There's no shame in that. That's a very helpful thing that you can do. And you don't have to wait till you're in a crisis to do it. Pick an experienced couple in this church that you love and respect and go eat with them and spend time with them and learn from them. Or if you're an older, experienced couple in this church, maybe you find a younger couple that you invest in. Man, there is a number of things that you can do to invest in your marriage. It's not something that just happens all at once. It's something that you invest in each day and each week and each month. And as a church, we have this married people ministry. And as a church, we have a lot of experienced married couples. And as a church, we want to help your marriage. We believe that Jesus taught in the sacredness of marriage. And so we want to help you. And we want to challenge you this week. You can do something as simple as just praying with your spouse every day. Now, up here it says pray over the next week with your spouse five out of the next seven days. And that's because I wanted to be realistic with it. I know that there may be a long day at work, or you may be out of town, or there may be your get-off schedule during the weekend, but I bet five out of the next seven days, five days out of the next week, in the morning, afternoon, evening, at some point, you could sit down with your spouse and you could pray together. And if you're not married, maybe you could find a couple that you're friends with or that you know of, and maybe you could commit to praying for them five 
out of the next seven days. Maybe it's just as simple as that. Just pray together, pick some of these areas, and begin investing in your marriage. Be a part of this married people ministry. So as we read through Mark 10, 1 through 12, I don't know where you're at, what your background is. I know there's all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds in this room. So this text probably affects you in different ways. And so some of you may be thinking, maybe you're struggling with someone that hurt you in the past or a decision that you made in the past and all those feelings have been drawn up again and and maybe you're going to need somebody to pray with and in just a minute you're going to have an opportunity to do that. And we want to help you there. Maybe if you're married and you're struggling right now, maybe that divorce word has been talked about recently, don't wait on it. Find somebody at this church to talk to and do it today. Find help today. I want to just take a second to put the spotlight on our elders. I know we have several of our shepherds or elders in this room right now. Uh, Last year around this time, I did a sermon series on what a shepherd is, and we added on a few shepherds, and our elders are the leaders of our church. But as you study through the New Testament, you know, Paul has several lists of what the characteristics of an elder is, and one of those is married to one wife, and an elder is somebody who has walked in the same direction for a long time. So that means our shepherds, our elders, have been married to the same wife for a very long time. And I probably can guess that they've had their own ups and downs and life struggles and raising kids. And they could probably relate to something that you're going through. So every week we say, hey, we're going to have this invitation. We have shepherds around the room. We have one or two standing in the back. One shepherd will be up front with me. But I want you to know that that, we say that not just out of ritual. We say that because we want you to take advantage of it. We actually have elders who care about you and who are experienced and love you and want to help you. So this morning, if you've struggled at all in any area of life, specifically marriage, find one of our shepherds. Go pray with them privately or set up a time to talk with them later in the week. That's another thing that you can do to invest in your marriage. We want to help you. You're not alone. We're in this together. God's grace is powerful. There's still hope no matter what's happened in the past. And the blood of Jesus covers your sin. So for those of you who are not in Christ, we extend an invitation this morning for you. For those of you who are struggling with your marriage, we we extend the invitation for you as well. We're going to stand, we're going to sing another song, we'll watch a video in just a minute. We encourage you to continue to worship and respond if you need to this morning.